If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to jump in the message now. Gosh, it's just so good to just uh, kind of know each other a little bit more, you know? Pray for each other, know what's going on in each other's lives. Keep praying for Gary and Christina. There's just so much to be done out there in Idaho because they're looking to plant other churches out of that church. You know, that's Paul's plan is there's a lot of needs uh, in the surrounding areas of Boise as well. And who knows, you know, Gary could be heading up one of those. And um, you just never know what's going to happen, do you, Christina? <laughs> Luke 22, verse 35. Remember, we, we've been studying this, this scene right up to the crucifixion. Jesus had the, the Last Supper, the intimate supper with his disciples. Remember, Judas kind of snuck in, pretend he was one of them. And Jesus, you know, just go out, do what you need to do. You know, and then they, they start quarreling about who's the greatest, you know, the disciples. Right there, the, the, the night in which Jesus is going to be betrayed, they're quarreling about who's the greatest. And God, Jesus explains to them, look, it's, it's the servant. Who's the servant among you? And then he says to Peter, remember he says to Peter, you know what? Satan wants to tear you up. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to destroy your faith. He goes, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Okay, and after all that's going on, then then comes this scene in verse 35. Then Jesus asked them, hey, when I sent you without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. Okay, what's Jesus talking about? If you remember, this is way back when we were studying Luke chapter 10, which is about two years ago. Luke chapter 10, remember Jesus sends out the 72 disciples of his and he tells them to go to these different cities. But he tells them, you know, you go and preach. Tell them that the kingdom of God is near. Go and heal people in my name. And these people were given power. But he tells them when you go, just leave right now. Don't run home and grab your your bag. Don't grab any clothes. Don't grab any money. Just go to the cities. Trust me, you'll be provided for. Just go to the city. Someone will let you into their home. Someone will give you food. And just eat what you're given and this and that. And Jesus is reminding them of that. He goes, you remember that time when I just sent you out with nothing? And he says, did you guys lack anything? And they said, nothing. All our needs were taken care of. Okay, so he reminds them of that. And then he says in verse 36, then he says to them, but now... If you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Okay, what's going on here? Jesus is saying, okay, remember when you went out and everyone cared for you and they took care of you and everything was provided for? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, guess what? Times have changed now. You know how in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter, chapter 53, how it prophesies that I am going to be counted as a criminal. I'm going to, I'm going to die between two criminals. I'm going to be counted among the the transgressors, the villains. That's the way people are going to look at me from here on out. That time which the Old Testament scriptures prophesied is about to be fulfilled. They're about to arrest me now. They're going to take me down and that means they're going to be against you as well. So no more of this going into home here or there. If you've got your stuff, it's every man for himself now. This is going to be crazy. It's no longer cordial. So you better go. If you're going to go on a mission and tell people about me, you better have your stuff with you because people aren't going to be as friendly. And and he makes that statement. He says, look, if if, if you don't have a sword, 
Sell your cloak and get one. Now, what was Jesus saying there? Was he telling his disciples, you're going to have to fight and defend yourselves? No, that's not, that's not the point of this passage. If it were, then it would make no sense when the disciples came back and said, hey, guess what, Lord? We have two swords. And Jesus just goes, that's plenty. Because that wasn't the point of it. He was just using an expression to explain, look, it's going to get hostile. He wasn't saying literally get your swords. Otherwise, why would he say that two swords are enough for the 12 guys? Is it a plan? Okay, you ten distract them and the other two go around stabbing. You know, it, it makes no sense, right? He's not saying, hey, you know what, that's plenty, that's enough, you know, with my plan. He's just saying, you know what, that's not the point of it. I'm just trying to tell you, time's going to get difficult. You know, the, the fulfillment of those Old Testament passages are about to take place. He's telling them, this is it, this is it. And... Um, as we uh, approach this subject of Christ's suffering and the time when the Old Testament scriptures are fulfilled and he's treated as a, you know, as this horrible man and then crucified, dying for our sins. You guys, I, I, I just, I was struggling last night. You know, I came to service and one of the elders in the church looked at me and said, you know, what, what's the matter? You know, are you okay? And uh, I, I was just struggling because this is such a sacred topic, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And I don't ever want to be casual about it. And, and how in the world do you explain what God in heaven did for us on the cross? How in the world do you put that into words to where you don't just believe it intellectually, but you get it? You know, you feel it and you just go, wow, you did that for me. How in the world can I communicate that in, in such a way that is sacred enough to the topic? You know, it's such a weighty issue. And, and I'd really like us just to take a moment right now. If you would just bow your heads and pray for yourself, just ask God to help you just really understand how much He loves you. Okay, would you just bow your heads right now just to, and ask God, help me understand how much Jesus suffered for me and how much He loves me. Father, we need your help because we want a glimpse of your love. Oh God, I want to know it. I want to understand it. I want to be blown away by it all over again. We all do. Open our eyes, our hearts, so that we can understand just how much Jesus suffered for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So he moves on in, in verse 39 and it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. 
gosh, this may be, for me personally, the most touching scene in the whole sequence. Um, Because you see what's going on here? After Jesus tells his disciples what's going to happen, he goes away, finds his place in the Mount of Olives, and, and, and he just leaves his disciples there. He just he goes, you guys stay here and pray. And he goes and he starts praying to the Father. See, Jesus knows what he's about to go through that night. He knows what the next day is going to bring. You know, we, a lot of us have seen the movie, The Passion, you know, of the, Mel Gibson's play. And, and you just think, wow, you know, everything that he went through. Jesus knows this is about to take place. And so here's the, the few moments before that where he's in the garden. And, 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 and uh, the Bible says that he's on his knees and he just keeps on praying. Matthew says he fell on his face and he's praying to God. And he begs God, he says, Father, can you take this away from me? Can you take this cup, the cup, the idea of what I'm about to drink, what I'm about to go through, what I'm supposed to experience, can you take that away from me? Do I have to go through what I'm about to go through tomorrow? Man, the, the beatings, the nailing to the cross, you looking at me as all the sins of the world are upon me, is there any way you can take this away from me? And, and the Bible says, you know, God sends an angel to strengthen him, and that just gets him to pray even more passionately. And he begs. It's so much so that it says that, that blood starts dripping out of his body. He starts sweating like drops of blood. And, and you know, there actually is a, a medical condition um, that, that's called uh, hematohydrosis. The whole idea is that there is a time when your body can be in so much anguish, and this happens still, it's a rare thing, but, but your, your blood vessels that surround your sweat glands, they, they form like this net-like you know, uh, conglomeration, and, and, and if, there, if you're under enough stress or anguish, the blood vessels will actually constrict, dilate, and then burst, and, and move into your sweat glands, and then as you sweat profusely, the blood comes out with your sweat. But, but you know, I, I think of times when I've cried out to God or been in so much anguish. I mean, I, I think that most of us have experienced times where we just think, gosh, I was in so much pain, so much agony. But, but I've never come close to sweating blood. And that's where Jesus was. you got to remember, this is the Son of God. He comes down on the earth. He knows He's about to be crucified and He is dreading it so much that He's screaming out to the Father, is there any other way? Is there any way you can take this away from Me? I don't want to go through this. Is there any other way? And He's begging so badly that He's dripping blood. And He's doing that for Me. That He went through that for Me. When I think about someone going through that much anguish for me, because he knew how much pain he was going to suffer, Jesus wasn't going to the cross as some, you know, superhuman, like, oh, this isn't going to hurt me a whole lot. I mean, the intensity of knowing what he was going to go through. He didn't want this. Not in the sense of, oh, I'm really going to find pleasure in this. And yet he prays, he goes, Lord, but it's not my will. I understand that you've got a bigger picture. It's more important. Your will be done. I'm just telling you my desires. This isn't exactly what I feel like doing over the next 24 hours. But, but your will is more important than mine. 
Yeah, I just think, what's it feel like to be in that much anguish? And, and I, I think the first time I, I looked at it from a different perspective, too. I mean, if that's not tough enough, I, I was there. I was at the Mount of Olives, you know, a few years ago. And I was in this garden spot, the area where they believe Jesus prayed this prayer. And I remember my professor, uh, Doug Bookman, you know, at the time was explaining this scene. And, and, and he was giving it from a father's perspective. And, and he, he's saying, man, do you understand what Jesus... Jesus doesn't say, God, save me. He uses the word, Daddy. It's, it's, and, and he starts saying, you know, and, 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 and Doug Bookman was explaining, you know, about his son. He goes, I'm just thinking, you know, what father could, could stand there and watch your own son, your own son crying out, Daddy, please, is there any other way? Can you not make me go through this? Can you take this cup away from me? And for a father to look down and see your only son begging you and to say, ah, but you got to because I love them. I love them that much. And there's no other way. Someone has to pay for their crimes and for a father. And I remember, you know, Dr. Bookman, he's been teaching the Word of God for years and years, just burst into tears and he couldn't even finish because he started thinking about his own son. He just had to walk out and he just lost it. Because those of us with children, we, we just can't even imagine how in the world do you look at your child who's begging you, begging you to the point of sweating blood to take this away from him? And for you to have a love that is so great for the world that you would watch your son go through that and say, I'm sorry. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not, it's not about my will. It's about yours being done. That God loved you that much. And that's why we don't ever casually dare to casually thank God for what He's done. That's why we don't just casually, you know, oh, let me tack a little Christianity into my life. No, you look at the God who created you and say, no one's ever loved me like that. I can't believe you went through that for me. And that's why we don't dare take the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner and just you know, throw a piece of bread in your mouth and drink the cup down with no thoughts. Jesus says, no, you do this in remembrance of me. Remember how much I love you. That's what this passage is about. Don't miss that. My prayer is that sometime this week, you'll just be overwhelmed by the love of God. We just go, wow, the God of the universe, the Creator, went through that for me. Jesus sweating drops of blood. Don't ever forget that picture of what he did in the garden as you just picture someone in that much anguish because he knew it. You see, this. don't look at Jesus as, as though he wasn't truly human at this point. He was every bit human and that's why he didn't want to go through this pain. The emotional pain of, of being, you know, taking on the sins of the world. And having to face the Father with literally, the Bible says he became sin. He became this object of wrath for God to pour his wrath out upon. That's just too intense. And I, I, I think about the way, and I think that's what bugged me yesterday, was I, I didn't want to be casual about this. And I feel like a lot of times I'll, I'll just casually pray, God, you know, help them understand this. Or, and when I pray, it's not like this. 
I mean, are you seeing the way Jesus prays here? I mean, he's really just begging. I mean, it's a perfect picture of prayer. And, and, and he's, he's just begging God, saying, please, you know, you know, is there any way so much that he's, he's sweating blood? I mean, when have you ever begged God like that? And yet, even though Jesus is pleading and begging for his desires, after that he says, but not my will, but thine be done. He, he begs for his desires, and yet he ultimately says, but I want to submit to your desires. See, that's amazing to me. That's the way we're supposed to pray. I mean, how many people do you know that, that actually pray that way? They beg for their own desires, and yet at the same time, they also submit to God's desires. See, see it seems like we do either or. I, I know people who beg for their own desires. They say, God, I really want this. I really want this. I really want this. But then they stop at that. And if God doesn't give it to them, you know, they get angry at God. You know, why didn't you come through for me? This or that. And then there's the other extreme. And sometimes I fall into this camp where I don't really tell God all of my desires. I just kind of go with his and go, hey, whatever you want. Man, your plan's better than mine. I, I just go with you. I trust you. And I feel a little safer over here. But, but the truth is, as God says, I, I, I want both. I want you, like a child, to tell me what you want. But at the same time, I want you to come to the end of it and submit and say, you know what, Lord, though? You've got a plan that's bigger than my desires. And you've got desires that are more important than mine. You know, I've got my life here. I've got these feelings. I have things that that I want. But ultimately, my greatest desire is to submit to your will and your plan. I'm just a small piece of that. Man, is that how you pray? I, I think about, um, too, you know, God's, the way God answers the prayer. You know, how did God answer the prayer of Jesus? Did he take the cup away? No, he didn't. He sent an angel down to strengthen him. That was his answer. And are you willing to accept that as an answer in your life? That God may not be simplifying your life, he's just strengthening who you are. Are you willing to, to pray that way? To say, God, you know what? You may not take this. Because when we pray, we ask God, God, can you change this? Can you fix this? And a lot of times he does, right? He asks for something and boom, and you're like, yes. You know, he, he just made my life so much easier, so much more comfortable, so much more enjoyable. But other times God doesn't take the cup away like with Christ. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. But here's what I will do. I'm going to give you strength through it. I don't know what you're praying through. It seems like it's been a heavy week for a lot of people. And you pray for certain things, but I'm telling you, the answer may not be God you know, taking it away and making it easy. He does that a lot. But it may be Him saying, no, there's a bigger plan here. And it's going to be tough for you. And you're going to suffer through this but I'm going to strengthen you through this. You see, James tells us that those are the things that, that, that complete us and, and cause us to grow to maturity is when God doesn't just take away all the trials, but He blesses us with trials and that He strengthens us through them. And that's what He does with Jesus here. He didn't take it away. He strengthened Him. And Jesus doesn't walk away and go, gosh, He's not even listening to my prayers. He doesn't say, oh, God didn't answer me. He accepted. He says, you know what? I prayed for the will of God. 
I prayed and submitted to His will, and this is His will, this is what I'll go for, and I just need the strength to do it. And, and, and the Bible goes on, and it, and it says in verse 45, after this prayer, it says, when He rose from prayer, He went back to the disciples, and He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Okay, Jesus, after praying this intense prayer, you know, wiping the blood off, comes over, sees His disciples, and they're asleep. But the Bible says they're exhausted from sorrow. Because that's understandable. Your, your, your best friend has just told you that he's about to die. You've gone through this whole period of time with him. You're blown away. He's going to be betrayed. Everything else, and you're just absolutely wiped out. You ever have a time like that? When you've just been bawling your eyes out, you're just wiped out all the pain from the day, everything else, and when you hit your pillow, you just crash. You're just so, not just physically, but emotionally exhausted. That's where the disciples were. And so you would think if they had an excuse to be sleeping, this would be it. And yet Jesus says, hey, there's no excuse for this. What are you guys doing? I know you're exhausted, but do you understand how important prayer is? You need to get up and pray right now so that you don't end up falling into your temptation. Gosh, again, you know, remember Jesus prayed for Peter and said, you know what, Satan's going to try to destroy you, but I've prayed for you. And now he's telling his disciples, pray that you don't fall into temptation. They fall asleep because, wake up, what are you doing? I said, pray. This is so important. There's no excuse for not praying for yourself. You've got to beg for it. You know, I, I, had, I had two different people this week ask me, hey, how do you stay consistent in your walk with God? They said, it seems like I'll, I'll walk with God for a few days, I'll do real well, or maybe a few weeks, or sometimes even a few months, but it seems like eventually I always go back to my sin. I always get grabbed back. You know, how, how do you just stay consistent all the time? And you guys, there's no secret to that. Man, all of us struggle. And, and, and it's exactly what Jesus is saying here is you've got to pray, you've got to beg God because all of us, myself included, all of us, we're this close to falling and, and if you do not regularly just beg God for your own purity, for your own holiness, you're going to fall. I mean, how seriously do you take prayer? Do you literally wake up every morning and just beg God to keep you on the right path? Man, and if that's not enough, do you pray every hour saying, God, okay, this hour, just get me through this hour focused on you because I know Satan wants to destroy me. I know the temptation is coming my way, but I'm begging you, God, right now, just, just keep me pure. So I tell you, if, if you don't have a healthy prayer life, you will fall. There's no secret. It's not like, well, once you're a Christian for 20-something years, then you can back off. No, no, Jesus is saying, listen, in fact, in Matthew, he tells him, look, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak, so you better pray. Very important phrase. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak, so pray. See, I'm willing to bet that, that, that 95% of you, you're in this room because your spirit is willing. In other words, inside you want to live the way God wants you to live, Right? I mean, that's why you come to church. It's like, okay, God, I want to be, because I know that's the best way to live life. I've experienced it before. I've had that joy with you before. And I know when I'm walking the way you want me to, everything seems to just fall into place, and I want that, and I want to be holy, I want to be pure. And you have that in your spirit. But the Bible says even though your spirit is willing, this flesh, this body you live in is very weak. 
And, and, and so many people nowadays, you know, depend on their willpower. You don't have any power. You know, you're so weak. You know, you, you think, oh, no, no, I can do it. I'll discipline all this, that. He says, you know what? Your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. You have to pray. That's our only guard. That's my only chance at making through this life, living the way God wants me to, is if other people pray for me and I'm praying for myself. And when I prayed, you know, you know what convicted me about this passage was the way that Jesus prayed. I mean, so intensely that he's sweating blood. A lot of times when I pray, I am so casual. You know, it's almost like, honestly, a lot of times when I pray, I'm not even really praying. It's more like I'm thinking out loud. And I'll just kind of casually throw some thoughts out. And I know this because sometimes I'll, as I'm throwing them out, I'll start drifting. My mind will start daydreaming about different things. And pretty soon I'm in a whole other world and forgot that I was even praying. See, that's not the way Jesus prayed. When Jesus prayed, he was locked in. He was saying, Dad, this is what i got to have. And he's focused on him. See, there's a difference between throwing a bunch of words up in the air and connecting with God. You know what I mean? We do that sometimes when we sing, right? Sometimes we'll just sing a song here in church. Other times you're connected with God and you're saying, you know, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes. You know, when you're, you're actually speaking to Him, connecting with Him. We, we do this even in our conversations with people. Sometimes we'll just kind of talk and tell a story. Other times, man, we lock in and we connect and we know who we're speaking to. We're really listening to their thoughts, their feelings, their concerns. Man, I'll get in that mode up here where I'll just kind of throw out a sermon. Then other times I'll see faces and connect and really think, no, I really, I really want this person to understand the love of God. You know, we've we got to get this. You've got to understand how important prayer is. You really have to understand every single person in this room will fall away unless they pray. You're going to be tempted. Satan is so after you. You think that the prayer time is just another thing to do in the church? No, I believe in that time. You know, when I ask you to pray for one another, it's not just so that you make new friends. It's because, you know what, we've got to start depending on this because it's our only chance. It's our only hope. Do you believe that? Are you connected with God, begging Him for your own purity like Jesus was? Anyways, it goes on in, in verse um, 47, and it says, While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them, which John explains as Peter, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Okay, so, so here comes the band of people to arrest Jesus. And Judas is leading them. But he comes up to Jesus and starts to kiss him on the cheek. Now, why he does that, possibly it's so that, you know, just like when he snuck into the Lord's Supper and pretended he was one of the crew, that he was still playing that same game and just kind of casually, oh, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, you're going to betray me with a kiss? I know what you're doing. 
You're going to fake this token of friendship? And meanwhile, you're handing me over to these guys? Peter sees the crowd going, oh, Jesus told us to get swords. And so he pulls his sword out and he just starts going for it. Okay, you guys distract him. You know, and he's a, and he goes and he cuts off one of the guards' ears. And that, and again, this is why I'm saying Jesus wasn't literally telling them to fight. That was a figure of speech. Getting them ready for, for the, the, the attacks that were coming. Because as Peter goes and does that, what does Jesus do? He stops them. So that's not what I'm talking about. Then he puts his hand on that, that guard's ear. And the ear grows back. The ear just miraculously heals. Because look, if I wanted to fight, I could fight. I don't need you. Look, I just put his ear back. You know? You really think I need you running around with a sword? You know? I, I think there's just so much said in that statement. You know? And, 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 and he, he, he says in, in, in verse 52, he says, Then Jesus says to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, the elders who had come from him, he goes, Am I leading a rebellion here? Am I leading a rebellion that you have to come with swords and clubs? He goes, every day I was with you in the temple courts and you didn't lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. He says, look, why are you guys coming with me? You know, with all these swords, all these men. In fact, John says that there was a Roman cohort with him. And a cohort is actually 600 men, 600 soldiers. Now, whether it was the whole cohort, I mean, that's what the scriptures say seems to imply, but picture this army of men coming to arrest Jesus, and Jesus goes, what are you guys doing? I've been standing in the temple with no weapons, just kind of teaching. Why don't you just pull me aside and arrest me? And the obvious answer was because that would have started a riot and everything else, but after what Jesus just does, this miracle, he says, look, I'm not here to lead a rebellion. He goes, you know why I'm going with you? Because this is your hour. This is a dark, dark time. This was a time that was prophesied. I just told my disciples about that. This, it's just time. And I'm going with you. And, uh, oh, what a, what a heavy, heavy time in the life of our Lord. This is where it all starts. And um, I, I just wanna, I want us to do justice to this. I want us to remember what he did for us. Um, it's not just an outline for prayer. I want us to remember what Jesus did on that cross. And really what he did in the garden. Man, don't forget that picture. Don't forget a picture of a son begging his daddy in the garden to take a cup away from him. And to beg so intensely that he's sweating blood because he so badly doesn't want this. And don't forget the picture of a father watching all of this and loving you so much that he is willing to watch his son go through that. For you. So he could have a relationship with you. I want to give you some time to respond. Um, just in prayer. Maybe communion. Whatever the Lord leads you to do. But it, it isn't one of those messages you just kind of walk out the doors. Okay, Jesus died for me. No, I, I want you to just connect. Really connect with God right now. And tell Him how thankful you are. Think about who you're speaking to and literally speak to Him. And thank Him for what He went through for you.